smell something? Put that cookie down! Hello and welcome to the Mighty Motion Picture Rangers. I'm Shane. I'm Chancellor. Oh god, I almost instinctively went, we're filming with hands. What would have you said? What starts with F that has to do with this topic? We're fumbling about for an F. Fumbling word. about for an F word, yeah. Which we already did like twice, I swear to God, when we were doing it. Uh, we're looking at character arcs today. We're looking at where characters, the journey, because we've talked about mm. a bit about writing, a bit about plotting. We haven't looked about character stuff specifically. Yeah, because I feel like I always bring up character stuff, like yeah. in general, when we talk about those things, but we haven't focused on it as, an as episode. a topic. And this episode was suggested by Josh, but he's unfortunately dead. Court. So, you know, we can't, we can't. Retail yeah. killed him. He, he had reached his character arc and then it was the fall at the end of the arc. It was a tragic. Plummeted <sighs> through the ground. Now he dead. Now he dead. <laughs> Apparently along with your grammar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they're, they're going to be buried together. Uh, <laughs> did you say buried together? I sure did. Was that deliberate? Yes. <laughs> uh, we have Zane to, to replace uh, Josh as per usual. Hello, Zane. You have Zane. <laughs> of Zane. We have a Zane, guys. It's a mono okay. name like Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but as always, we always ask by stop, start. We stop by asking. What, what do we do, Shane? This is you got me up at eight in the morning. I am tired. Shane, what have you been watching? I've been watching quite a lot. Uh, I watched the favorite. Which is oh, that the um, uh, bizarre period piece with Emma Stone, Rachel yeah. Weisz, and Olivia Coleman, and it is phenomenal. As I always say, Believe I'm an Emma high. Stoner, so tell me more. Uh, she's brilliant in it. It's a period piece shot with fish islands. Is like this was like my crack cocaine. <laughs> it's it it took like a couple of seconds because I was worried at the very beginning that it was going to be like killing of a sacred deer or, oh. or the lobster in that weird acting, that very stilted. Yeah, mono- I'm talking in the monotone acting, and you're just saying this thing because that's part of his style. <laughs> But this one's more involved. There's more acting. It just took like a couple of beats to get into it. Once it's into it, it flies and it sings. And it's like an over two hour movie. It went by in a snap. Oh, wow. It's like everything that everyone's saying about it is is true. It's phenomenal performances. It's cinematography is amazing. They're like window lighting the shit out of everything. <laughs> and specifically one that doesn't get enough hype is Nicholas Holt is in it as like okay. this pompous undersecretary. And like he's, he's minister of the opposition or something mm. like that in in the parliament and he's funny as fuck they have some really great uh insults they've made up uh and words it's I, everything about it is is 100% true uh, i saw second act with jlo oh yeah how was that not good oh okay very surprising at- everyone <laughs> Look, it I, looked look, a bit I, cheap, but I, I was I excited about J Lo being back. I was like, I like, you know what? I like Monster She's and Jenny Lock. from the Block. What are you gonna do? <laughs> She's still Jenny from the Block. Uh, but uh, Monster, see, I love Monster in Law, and so I think she can usually be compelling. But this is really uncompelling in so many ways. Also, isn't the whole plot like everyone's she commits life? fraud? She she lies she, on a resume. No, 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 because you can, because you, you can check. No, she, she doesn't just lie on a resume. And, like she literally like commits fraud. She supposedly went to Stanford and all yeah. this. Like she's literally committing like a federal offense, and and then it's like, oh, but I did it for the best of intentions. It just, it's, it's not money. Yeah, money. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say, isn't she <laughs> going for a job? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, uh, that'd be a, that'd be a great plot in life. You know, you just commit fraud. And they're like, oh, why'd you lie to us? And you're like, yeah, but I wanted the money, so. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's it's not good. But, like, I wouldn't say I hated it. I just didn't really care for it. 
Uh, I watched Tully, which is me trying to catch up on 2018 movies. I uh, unfortunately listened to an interview with Jason Reitman where and the you ending was the spoiled twist. for me. Yeah, yeah. Because I was Why? like, oh damn, I really w- wanted. I- Though to be fair, that's to me that we have you seen Tully Zane? I have not. Uh, okay, I won't spoil it, yeah, but no. it's the weakest part of the movie. Oh, I reckon really? a lot of people really liked it, and I didn't. I thought the strongest part was the first like forty minutes. I was watching it with my mom, and my mom's like, "Yep, this is so accurate to the entire of pregnancy." So apparently, it's very hit very huh. hard on the nail exactly what pregnancy is like. Uh, and her performance is really good. I didn't. It's shot very blandly. Am I being stereotypical when I'm saying it's written by Deborah Cody? No, it's Diablo Cody. Okay, cool. Yeah, because it's directed by Jason Reitman. Yeah, right? so it's their, collab- yeah. their third so, collaboration since they did. I want to watch. Which is why Young- I'm assuming. <laughs> I want to watch Young Adult. I haven't seen that one, but I've heard good things about that one. I feel like I'd like that one more than I liked Tully. But Tully was nice. It was nice mm. and very well acted across yep. the board. I just found it a bit boringly shot and all that kind of stuff. I watched The Rider, which is another 2018 movie. It's this mumble called sort of movie about a horse wrangling guy who's who has like a horrible accident. Yeah. And he's trying to recover and he's like, a, it's it's kind of a Dallas Buyers Club-esque tone. It's that mumbly handheld drama mm. shot by Chloe Zhao though, like an, an Asian American woman. And she's in like the heart of America. Some There's some, there's one shot in it that's absolutely stunning and gorgeous and beautiful. And she's used a real guy who basically like really went through exactly what's kind of happening. And then she got him to act. It's this weird light because it's a fiction story based on true events that happened to the actual people she cast in the movie. And for her to have pulled out such kind of nuanced performances out of non-actors is a really hard thing to do in general. It's hard to do with real actors (laughs) and she's pulling it off with like non-actors so the, the 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 balancing act of the movie is quite extraordinary. I just, I mean, it's a handheld drama. It's not my thing that I gravitate towards, but this is getting a lot of like independent awards consideration and deservedly so. Yeah. And she's now booked to do, I believe she's doing a, D, a Marvel movie or a DC movie now and it's deserved. Oh, wow. She's really, she knows what she's doing and she does it very well. It's just not always a thing that connects with me, but you know, it's, it's a very beautiful movie and that one shot in it, I would put in my top 10 shots of the year. Cool. Easily. Um, I watched You Were Never Really Here, which is Lynn Ramsey's violent Joaquin Phoenix assassin movie. Uh, it's it's a little slow. It doesn't always connect with me, but it's I think it's a very interesting take on the Hitman on a Rampage movie, like the John Wicks. Yeah. I was thinking because it's a much more meditative and still leaner. It's like an 80-minute movie. It's very fine. Performances are really good. Uh, there's one shot. Again, there's another shot in here. Uh, it's beautiful. It's in the water and he's throwing a body in and it's it's beautifully shot, expertly crafted. I didn't love it, but I think that's more to do with me than the movie. I think it's a really great movie and it's, again, this is a landing on a lot of people's top 10 lists, deservedly so. Lynn Ramsey is, she knows exactly what she's doing and she's very fucking good at it too. Uh, and then I watch Mary Poppins Returns. How dare you? It's terrible. Mm. And I, everyone's loving this movie and saying, oh, and it's flashing. There's so many things that made me mad, not in the least in which is the dialogue is like first draft level bad. There's, you know, everyone refers to everyone and they keep using each other's names in every line. So it's like, oh, Jane, you can't do this. But Michael, da da da. <laughs> well, I didn't do this, Jane. Oh, Michael, da da. And like the whole time, and a gratingly obvious. And I mean, there's an interesting thing to say, see watching Ben Wishaw, who's a very accomplished actor working his ass off to sell any, cause he has some of the cheapest lines yeah. in the movie and he's working his ass off to sell it to you. It's not working, but that's not to do with him. That's to do with the lines, 
None of the musical numbers feel earned. They're all forgettable. And here's the one thing that I found the most egregious is that it's shot poorly. There is like, it's like they, the camera person never rehearsed with the blocking and they're <laughs> shooting it for the first time. And there's these, all these little like readjustments. The camera's doing these little, like it, it, like, oh, they missed a bit of the headroom. So they adjust up or they adjust to the left or they adjust to the right. And it looked really first take rehearsal Weird. kind. Yeah. And like, um, you've uh, sold me. I want to see it now. Rob Marshall is, he's not known for being a visual stylist in a way. Like Scott says, he doesn't design shots. He usually shoots it from about 12 different angles, cuts it together after the fact. And it worked in into the woods because everything in into the woods is on steady cams in, I think where it, was different in this is that everything was on cranes and or dollies in this yeah. and that doesn't work with that style if you've got a crane or a dolly it needs to move to a set place because then it, otherwise you're getting these little adjustments that look like mistakes and because they are mistakes they are mistakes and it was overshot and overcut and you have these you have lin-manuel miranda and a horde of these lamplighters doing these incredible acrobatic feats and you're shooting so much of it in close-ups and cuts and the whole point of having dancers who can fucking do it is you cut to a wide and you watch them do it. That's what they did in Mary Poppins, what they did in singing in the rain. That's when you've got a cast that can do that. And Lin-Manuel Miranda can dance with the best of them. And I was like, you're doing a disservice to this, not just the narrative, but the style. It doesn't fit the old one. They rarely throw back to the old one. Mm. There's a lot of stunt casting cameos. There's a Meryl Street role that exists. Oh, wow. They go to her to get this bowl fixed. The bowl never comes back into the story ever again for the entire movie. It's halfway through. There's this whole musical number. Is Dick Van Dyke still alive? Yes, he's in the movie. Okay, cool. Well, that's all right. Does he have a terrible accent? No. Oh, what? No. Um, (laughs) But Lin-Manuel Miranda, they've dubbed every single one of his lines and I swear they drew on his stubble. At some points, like the stubble was made. There were some points where it was real and there were some points where his stubble was makeup. It looked yeah. like makeup to me and I was really bothered by it. And every single line of his is 80 yard. Emily Blunt is fine. She's a bit too emotional. Mary Poppins is meant to be. The whole point is that Mary Poppins is so stoic amongst the most bizarre, fantastical shit going on around her. And she kind of revels in the fantastical shit a bit too much for right, my yeah, liking. Yeah. Maybe that's her trying to do an interpretation of it. But I just, there was so much about this movie that, made me angry and I'm completely unsatisfied by the end. You know, in, in the original Mary Poppins, she fixes this and that and the other and the kids and everywhere yeah. they go fixes a different problem with them. They yeah. just go to places and have funny musical numbers in weird and wacky places and there's no connection to the songs. There's no connection to where they're going, what they're learning. The only real lesson is the dad learns to maybe be a little less testy, but his kids come in and fucking nearly get him fired. Of course you're going to be pissed. It's so understandable that you're just like, oh, it's you not. You sound so old, Shane. Are kids going to like it? I reckon they'll, f- they'll they'll find it flashy. They'll like pretty much anything that looks like it. But are kids going to like it? Yeah, but they're not going to remember it. They're okay. not going to remember oh, it the I'm, way no, we remembered Mary Poppins. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying what you're saying is not valid. I'm just saying is this going to be one of these things that is specifically made for kids because they don't have this nostalgia for the previous Mary Poppins and they don't have the level of taste that you're applying to it. Is is it something no, a, a simple sure every, enjoyable pleasure for child? Every child who watches it but is anything be like, can why do you like that? But you want, if, you want, if you want the children to watch it again in ten years time, twelve years time, that's not gonna happen with this. <laughs> Shane. And this movie, cost, this movie cost hundred. I was looking this up. This movie cost $130 million. It cost the cost of making La La Land three times and then enough budget to do fucking Get Out 
like three more times on top of that. Or you could do you could do Why into the woods. Do that? You could do into the woods twice. Why would people and have La money La and be like, look, I know we've shot the movie. Let's do it two more times because we have the money. What do you mean? This it's is like- an insane world you are suggesting, Shane. <laughs> but you could do you could do you could do uh, into the woods twice. And then La La Land on top of that. Anyway, that's that's my ranting about Mary Poppins Returns. What have you been watching, Chanster? Uh, well, what have I been watching? So um, you know how Disney took over Stan and now uh, Miss... Uh, what's it called? That show that I really was in the middle of watching and then they just took it off. The Murder Mysteries one. Miss Fisher. Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. So I haven't been watching Miss Murder... Uh, Miss you Fisher's. haven't been watching. No, this I can't. Called, what have you been watching? Well, instead I watched Bolt, which is good. You know, I don't know why, because, uh, uh, so I was looking at IMDb and Chloe Grace Moretz played the main girl when she was a kid and then she's still a kid, but now she's played by Miley Cyrus. Correct. Why the hell? Turns out Chloe Grace Moretz recorded the whole movie and then they dubbed her. But why? Miley Cyrus has a terrible voice. Like she sounds like she's smoking while she's talking. <laughs> Every time she, her like voice goes a little bit high, it cuts off because she's constantly got a cold or something. And I'm like, why would you do that? Chloe Grace Moritz is a much better actress. She might not have the name of Miley Cyrus, but yeah, who cares? Yeah. It's You're- Disney, you don't need names. Exactly. Uh, John Travolta was good. Uh, you know, I like I liked him. And who was the one playing the cat? Is he the voice of Bolt? Yeah. Okay. I can't remember who plays the cat, but she she was really good as well. It was a good movie. Um, yeah, no, it, it didn't win Disney versus Disney for a reason, but it, it it was a really fun movie and I enjoyed it. I cried at the end, but I cry in everything. So, you know, uh, I watched Coco finally. Hooray. Um, I, I really loved it. Uh, it was great. Um, you mean you watched the Book of Life? Look, no, they, they are nothing alike. Yes, uh, they are. Okay, other than the fact that they are both based on Day of the Dead and they both have guitars in it. Magical guitars and it's about a boy, so a boy growing up and becoming a man. Yeah, that's fucking every... That's like um, saying no, that- it, Coco's not about him becoming a man. <laughs> it's about him reconciling the past of his family with the future of his family. And being It's, able it's to not play a coming of age story. No, definitely not. that's like saying that every single christmas movie that has santa in it is the same you're comparing fred claus to the santa claus which are not comparable because fred claus is a great movie we should all watch it (laughs) um no no i i I really loved it but that being said i do want to go back and watch the book of life again because i i really loved coco um i think I preferred. I saw the twist coming in Coco. Oh no, no, that's my one complaint. Is at the very start, I was like, "Oh, he's going to be his granddad," and then as soon as he met the other guy in the in the the world of dad, I was like, "He's his granddad." Got it. Okay, move on. And then, oh my god, look, he was a bad guy. But again, like that's a twist for kids. Like that was it. It doesn't really, doesn't really require the twist. When I was a kid, my standards were higher than that. Yeah, he was mm. watching Mary Poppins going, you know what? They're I'm not, not sure moving that their camera correct, a little Shane. bit. <laughs> um, but no, no, I, I, I think the one thing that I would, because I think I prefer Book of Life's uh, kind of like non-linear storytelling. Like it's not it's as- presented as a fable. Yeah, exactly. Which I preferred. But Coco, I preferred the fact that the human art style was much more different than the- Wooden uh, dead. Puppet. Sorry? Wooden puppet. Oh, that's, sorry. That, no, I thought no, you meant in, in no, Book no, of Life, I, everyone's wooden puppet. I love the wooden puppet uh, art style, but the fact that the wooden puppet uh, art style is the same between the humans and the dead in uh, Book of Life, yeah. whereas in this one, the humans look very different to the skeletons, which is, I enjoy that. Um, otherwise, 
probably watched other things. I don't know. Th- those were the two main things that I watch Disney stuff. Oh, no. You know what? I watched Lethal Weapon uh, mainly because... Christmas. Christmas, yeah. And I, I think... Lethal Weapon is definitely more of a Christmas film than Die Hard. I think it uses the themes of Christmas much better because Die Hard, it literally was tacked it's on. It's just set at Christmas. Yeah, because Lethal Weapon was set at Christmas. And yeah. Joel Silver was like, hey, let's do Christmas. Um, and I love Die Hard, but no, I, re- I really do still love Lethal Weapon 1. And I haven't watched 2 yet, but I probably will soon. It's You've not never watched 2? No, no, I've seen 2 before. Oh, okay. Um, I, I, I love 2. I haven't seen either of them. <laughs> Why not? What's your excuse? I own Lethal Weapon on Blu-ray. I just haven't gotten around to it. Ugh. There's only so many hours in a day, Chance. Do you have two, three, and four? Mm-mm. Well. Oh, they're on Netflix, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Zane, what have you Zane, been watching? You watching? Bad stuff. Ooh, man, you're a man after my own heart. Tell me more. I watched the Netflix original movie, Dumplin'. Why would you do that? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I did it because uh, some people who like movies like that said, it's, it's not a bad movie. It's a bad movie. Um, <laughs> I saw like two seconds of it because my yeah. mom was watching it. I'm like, no. Nah. There's nothing really to say about it. Like it's exactly what you imagine it to be. Uh, there's no I'm fat and nobody likes me. Oh, I'm going to teach them that being looking different is not good. Not bad. Yes. Dolly Parton. With more Dolly kind Parton. of mother-daughter <laughs> stuff thrown in there. Yeah. Uh, and to be fair... Um, the mother isn't terrible. Like she's not a it's terrible Jennifer person. Aniston, isn't Jennifer it? Aniston yeah. is not terrible person. Um, she's not like yeah. she's not like the stereotypical villain. But mm. still, it's not a compelling movie. No. no, I wouldn't watch it. And then I watched. I tried to watch some of the first season of Sick Note. Um, oh, okay. Everyone's been raving about this. It's not good. I do not like it at really? all. I, okay. I've gotten through the first two episodes, maybe three episodes. I feel. I feel like it's a British company trying to do an American comedy. Yeah, I was going to say it does not feel British. No. It, but, I, which is concerning. I honestly thought it may have been an American company trying to do British. Yeah. I just found the exposition like really clunky. The characters like had like three changes of heart in the first episode. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm like, I don't care. Goodbye. Yeah, I, when I watched the trailer, the trailer was the first episode. Yeah. Because like, I was like, okay, cool. So he finds out. Um, when I was watching the trailer, I'm like, oh, man, it's a bummer that we find out that he doesn't have cancer in the trailer because that'd be like a cool yeah. twist. Like, yeah, no, yeah. it's all in the first episode. All in the first episode. He has cancer. He doesn't have cancer. Now he has to pretend like he has cancer at the end. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it, it, like <laughs> Rupert Grint, pretty unimpressive in it. Yeah, uh, and same with everyone else. Like uh, the uh, screw, I, uh, I really yeah. like. I, I want to see where Nick Frost's character goes because the Nick Frost character is, uh, I want to say the bumbling fool, but uh, and like the him and his wife's relationship. I want to see if there's actual any payoff to any of this. I mean, yes, but I'm not going to watch the whole season for that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I am. Nick Frost was was yeah interesting, but like. The scripting, he was, he'd play like three scenes the exact same way. And I'm like, okay, is this, you're just a, just a loser? That, <laughs> that, that, all right, good. I guess everyone, there's no one to like in, in that show. That is true. Yeah. So, oh, no, you know, there's the guy on the Xbox, the friend. Do not like. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, he hasn't done anything bad yet, has he? He's trash. Uh, <laughs> he, he's literally telling him to lie to his girlfriend? Okay, good point. Yeah. yeah no, uh, 
I think do not recommend from Zane. Nah, fair enough. Um, I wanted to like it because I like Rupert Grin. I like the indie movies that he's done. Mm. Um, I love Thunderpants. Sure. That's a terrible <laughs> movie. You can have your opinion. I walked out of that one when I was a child. No, that actually not. That, that's one of the first movies I remember hating, <laughs> which is hard to do when you're 10. And yeah, so that, that's what I've been watching. Disappointing things. Nice. Well. Right. Well, character arc. So what is an arc and why do characters need them? Story. Yeah. I mean- <laughs> That's change is what stories are about. Yeah. Or lack of change. Go, going from point A to point B. I mean, it's, B. it's a path is what it is. It's yeah. a path because a bunch of stuff can happen and that's plot. Mm. But plot without a direction is. Is Mary Poppins a return? Hey, I haven't even seen <laughs> I mean, the movie. there's a plot and there's a deadline, but it's so arbitrary. Oh, really? Yeah. It's not even like, because like, what it is is. He's about to lose the house because he took out a loan and the bank wants to take it back. And he's got five days to find that he has shares in the bank that will let them keep the oh loan. Oh, God, I'm already so bored. And But but I was like, oh, what if the share certificate is that he owns like a, a huge chunk of the bank and so the evil bank person, spoiler alert, played by Colin Firth, is oh, cool. uh, wanting the shares so that he can wait, own wait. the bank. I but like no, the he spoiler just spoiler alert is the fact that he's played by Colin Firth. Yeah, but there's Colin, like, like there are cameos up the wazoo in this movie. Meryl Streep is in it for yeah. no fucking reason. But I thought it would be like he wants it because it's shares in the bank and so it's going to get him to own the bank. No, he just wants it because he likes taking houses off people. Sounds There's like no Firth. specific reason that this specific house is part of his list. It just is. It's so uncompelling. Motivation is a key thing. Motivation. It's, so it gives it forward propulsion, yeah. an emotional propulsion rather than a narrative propulsion. So it's not Well, like motivation is, is one of the things that can like define an arc. So yeah. Yeah. your situation might not change, but your motivation for moving that's, forward can. That's yeah. one and of that's, the things I always write as my, uh, that's like my turning point. I'm yeah. like, no, we're still trying to go for the same thing, but the reason they're going for yeah. it, yeah. which I think is more compelling than, oh, he's changed his mind. He's going to go for this thing instead. And a lot of things is, yeah, it's people who want <laughs> something for the wrong reasons and yeah. they need to either not want that thing and figure out they need something else or, you know, it's, it's what they want versus what they need is a lot of the thing they yeah. teach you in film school. But it's usually the glue between the plot and the theme yeah. is what a character ah. is. It sticks the two things together because you can have a movie about uh, courage being, you know, what you need. And then it's a story about uh, dropping jewelry into a volcano and <laughs> the character arc of, you know, the what <laughs> movie could you be speaking of? <laughs> uh, so characters need them because static characters are boring. Yeah. Uh, actually, Garden no. state. Literally <laughs> I what keep you, bringing this up because it's such a bad movie. Literally what you just said, Lord of the Rings, uh, Fellowship of the Ring, Frodo doesn't have a character arc and he's meant to be the main character. But he does in two and so three. We can talk about that a little bit more. Okay. Because so, um, like without an arc, the story is without a purpose. Mm. Stuff just happens and then the credits roll. Um, so films, and, and there's that part of the film audience, the audience story uh, relationship, films yep. are made to show us how to act in our own lives. There's a cathartic thing. And if nothing changes, yep. we don't feel like we've gone and done anything yep. when we watch it. Uh, you can So there's sort of two main like arcs where stuff happens. There's a positive arc and a negative arc. There's also something called a flat arc, which we'll talk about before. There's a really great video on um, characters without arcs that I'll put a link to in oh, the show um, notes. Is there's, that the Paddington one? 
Yes, how yes, yes. Paddington 2 was the best Superman movie we'll ever have. No, no, that's not a Patrick Willems one, although Patrick Willems references it. It's a Just Right episode, but he references okay. Paddington 2 as, as an example. But we'll get that in a sec. Tick. But a positive arc is when they change for the better, or a negative arc is a tragedy. Yeah. They change for the worse. Uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah. It's sort of a good example. So how do arcs work in TV versus how do they work in movies? I think this is a very interesting Well, generally crossover. they're more stretched out in TV. Because, like, with TV... You, you need an arc for an episode, but you need an arc for a season. Same thing with story. So, like, if your character is going th- through a change, and I'm sure you guys will be able to bring up Breaking Bad because I haven't seen it, uh, the changes are incremental ep- episodically, but the change seasonal is mm. <laughs> big. Um, but you can also have in TV, they can be very cyclical, especially in older sitcoms. Oh, yes. <laughs> Arcs really change, or if they do, they reset by the end of it. Yeah. So Will and Grace, Simpsons. I like it was Simpsons. Um, I like Will and Grace, but Grace learns that she needs to treat Will a bit better, and then the very next episode, she's a shit to him. <laughs> she's an utter shitty friend. She's really terrible for him. Um, on serialized TV, you're right. It's usually season long arcs they don't and it's doled out episode by episode and some episodes some something won't change um some shows that burn through a lot of story aka like arrow season one they have like whole arcs across individual episodes so like in yeah. one episode of arrow he realizes that he should stop killing people because he's, he's literally just like straight up slaughtering villains for like the first half of the season and he's awesome. like oh i need to kind of not do that anymore if i'm trying to be some kind of moral compass for the city uh, i, I need to say, stop killing people. So oh, i better stop killing people i won't have a second season <laughs> no they're just they're just getting random crime lord do like slumming it up in the city but he literally learns oh i need to be a bit Mm. more of a human being and that's like an that's an arc that happens over maybe two episodes oh wow in the full season because he goes on this giant journey um i don't know about later because i quit watching after season two uh on smart tv shows they do both they have incremental and season long arcs something like the good fight is such a great because characters are moving through every episode and yet there's a season long arc that you kind of don't realize until the end you're like oh that's what they were going for uh, I think Daredevil season one and Jessica Jones season one really worked that. Yeah. 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 The best TV usually does. Um, whereas in movies, there's a, it's a very much a finality to it as well. Yeah. TV is sort of like putting a character through a lot. It's very literary. It's putting yeah. it through a lot of different stuff. Whereas a movie has a finality. It's usually a lot more simple. And, and generally if they do a sequel to it, Either they do the stupid thing where the character arc is reset and none of the first movie mattered, or they change in a new, better way, mm. uh, which I'm trying to... Th- oh, well, Lethal Weapon. Incredibles, National- Incredibles 2. Yes. Ah, uh, there we go. That's perfect. Uh, National Treasure 1 and National Treasure 2. Get out of my house. <laughs> no, but you are, you are right there. Cause- yeah, because season one was... I mean, he doesn't... I was re- I was trying to read up on this thing and they were like, this character doesn't have an arc. I'm like, you didn't watch the movie because they brought up like the in National Treasure. And I'm like, I guess you can see he's a guy who believes in the treasure. He wants to get the treasure. He gets the treasure. Yeah. So he doesn't really change in National but he does. There's sort of like this, he more so changes the people around him, I reckon. So maybe it is a flat So arc. he's like Paddington. So what you're saying, <laughs> but number National two is Treasure about, equals as good as Paddington But number two, two it, it develops on the pigheadedness that he gets from winning in season yeah. one. In, in, it's not season one. Ooh, it's not a TV show. In, <laughs> in the first movie to the second movie, and his pigheadedness is part of the arc. Him versus Diane Kruger, they're broken up now. They got married at the end of the first. Well, they, it's alluded yeah. that they get married, and then they skipped to them already split. That I love that about the second one. Is yeah, the fact yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. 
the, 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 the events of the first one have affected them for the worst, even though it ended <laughs> on such a high note. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it usually has an end position in a movie. Everything leads there. Yeah. Whereas in TV, they often haven't even written the, yeah, well, the end they, of the show. They leave it open-ended because but, yeah. you always need to be able to continue the idea if is you that, get picked up for another season. Yeah, the idea <laughs> is the show needs to be able to go on for an infinite number yeah. of episodes, which creates good and bad things about it. Which is it. why I think Breaking Bad was such a success because they had this arc planned out over From the get-go. this yeah. number of yeah. And they, they did the same thing in The Good Wife. Her yeah. arc was plotted out. It's much longer. It took a lot. It was a bit more of a circuitous route, but she had sort of a very compelling arc. Um, for movies, it's always a lot more clear what the arc is as well. Uh, and yeah, because they haven't written it in TV often. Yeah, TV is like, oh, where are we? Oh, and we're there. Yeah, so well, there's a lot yeah. of sudden twists in TV as opposed to movies don't often have that. Yeah, well, I think the you're tied to that because of the episodic nature. Yeah, because I, you'll you'll have them making some progress towards their end, the end goal of their arc, but having a setback in the next episode. And yeah, yeah, I feel like watching a movie where they did that, where like, oh, it's a random change at sudden points would just feel weird. <laughs> well, it does. I'm trying to think. There's an example I've just I'm watched trying to recently. Think of it as well. Because I, I know like uh, a lot of the time, like uh, the Futurama movies or Red Dwarf season nine, because they were originally meant to be a movie thing. And then they split it up into an episodic thing and it just doesn't work episodically. Mm. Uh, so bad arcs versus good arcs. And to clarify what I mean, that <laughs> it is, but it's like, what's like a compelling or interesting or unique arc versus a cliche arc. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just thought a villain Michael learning Davis. to love again. Like it's it's uh, a Christmas Carol. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's usually like the cliche kind of like the unexpected is necessary yeah. for a compelling arc to me. It's what makes uh, you know Michael kind of compelling in the good place. Yeah, is that he's a demon and his whole goal was he he had a tangible almost endearing goal as a demonic force to torture the people. Cause he was like, he really was in, he, he had an ambition for what he wanted to do. He wanted to change mm. the system and then he's kind of fucked up, but then his role kind of changed. I think he's one of the more compelling characters on television. Yeah. Um, but you can also have a very expected arc if the getting there. So rom-coms, the arc is pretty set from the beginning. Yeah. Most of the Most time. Most of the time. Which might be why I don't like sick, uh, why, why I don't like rom coms. I thought you were going to say noir coms, and I'm like a noir comedy, ah, mm. a noir rom com. <laughs> he falls for the femme fatale. So yeah, that'd be uh, a weird. Genre like it's a noir for the first half, and then the second half is him just trying to get the femme fatale. Going, <laughs> no, I, mean, I loved you all along. A noir rom com, like just like that, is the pitch for a Where in the World Is Carmen Sandiego movie, right? Oh uh, no! See, my version of that has the kids trying to hunt down like their missing parents and comments. There are no kids in. in this movie. <laughs> no, this, this is, is a not a kids movie. <laughs> she's not wearing sexy. a red jacket. She's wearing red lingerie and, and so a now, giant red hat and a giant red and hat because that's the hot part. Yeah. Oh. Um, a great arc as well should feel completely inevitable. You should be like, oh, of course. That's where it was going the whole time, but you just couldn't put the pieces together because yeah. you, it was being presented to you. That's the hardest thing because you can either have something ultra surprising and out of nowhere, a la now you see me, but it doesn't work because they deliberately withheld the ability it, yeah. to predict that for you, which that to me makes... Un- Although some people love now you see me one. People are wrong. 
They're yeah, very people are trash. Wrong. People are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and bad arcs make you relinquish emotional investment in how it all turns out. I think that's the biggest problem. Is that it's not. That's why those movies where there's a lot of like action and plot, and then there's no character arc, you just tune out because it could be the most. Ex- you could be that's watching the most unique, say... exciting, spectacular thing in the world, and you don't give two fucks. About now I it. haven't seen four and five, but Michael Bay's Transformer movies. Yeah, because. They have the littlest arc possible, I think. One is the best. Although apparently apparently Bumblebee is amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, he made by the person who did fucking Kubo and the Two Strings. What were you expecting? Oh, really? And do you yeah. know who wrote it? Do you know who wrote it? Kelly Freeman Craig, who did Edge of Seventeen. Yeah, well, yeah, then of so course. So it's like you- a coming of age story with Haley Steinfeld. I'm like, okay, I kind of really want to see Bumblebee now. <laughs> I- I've wanted to see it for ages, ever since I found out the director. But they, um, someone posted on uh, what get Reddit or whatever the other day. How uh, it's just a horse movie, but with a robot. Yeah, horse movie the, with a robot. Where the girl finds the horse robot. And then, and she, you know, the horse robot's a little thing, so she's got to take her in. She's got to treat the horse robot right. Mm. I wonder if that's why you're not, because you're not big on coming of age movies. And is that a part of the reason why? It's because, is it because you're very... an ageless freak? <sighs> I think it's because I'm old. Ah. I don't, but like, but I don't also, buy into coming of age movies anymore. But everyone of comes of age. People come of age. Like that happens in real life, but like because it's such a well-trodden yeah. Yeah. arc. More and so like, than it's most. Not, like everyone's going to come of age. Like even people who Except suffer from arrested development, mm. they come of age and then they stop developing. Like it's, yeah. it's not, it's very rare that you find someone who, who is entirely a toddler their entire life. <laughs> Unless it's an old Adam McKay movie, <laughs> like Step Brothers hey. or Trump. Or Trump. Hey, this is true. <laughs> hey politics. Uh, can having no arc work? Well, yeah. So you, you said we we're going to come back to it. We were. It's called we're. a flat arc. It's <laughs> the actual thing. Um, but refusing to change can also be an arc. Yeah. And that's yeah. the downward arc. Uh, so they sink further into the awfulness that they are because, in. Because, yeah, that, that, that's the negative side of it. It's like there could be a positive force here but because they're rejecting it. They go down and mm. get stabbed in and the back. Hard, Julius I find Caesar. It's, it's very hard to sell those as well because people think, oh, it's sad, therefore it makes it more unique because we're so sick of happy. So that's why I get really angry at people who rebel against happy endings for no other reason than they want to rebel against happy endings. Mm. It should be justified. It shouldn't only be justified because you don't like. Yeah, I I, th- I think there's also a lot of story to be mined by one character having no arc and the rest of the characters kind of fighting around that. Yeah, um, so that's kind of like the, the basis of a flat arc is uh, – what happens is it, the most important thing is the supporting characters. Yeah. They change. Yeah. So uh, we talked about Paddington. Mm. Paddington, in Paddington 1, yes, but Paddington 2 more so because you see it in the prison, you see it in, in in all the people around him. He just wants to get a birthday present for his Aunt Lucy. That's like the yeah. plot of that movie. I cried at the end. I yeah. cried. Yeah. A happy birthday, Aunt Lucy is like, oh, like if you ever meet Ben Wisher, I'm just going to say, can you say happy birthday, Aunt Lucy, to me, please? Um, which Weird. Is just, that was, <laughs> He will run. <laughs> no, it's fair enough. Um, I, I met Joe Bauer the other day, and I just, I was just like, oh, hey, oh you know, I'm, I'm just a real, I'm a big fan. <laughs> uh, he, he was alone as well, so he couldn't even like. Oh no! Yeah, I with Rita. No. Oh. Uh, the Shawshank Redemption is an example of this. Yes, Andy doesn't yeah. change, yeah. but he changes Red. He changes the prison. He changes everyone. He even changes the villain, mm. which is such a great, uh, compelling part of that movie. Uh, Sister Act Two. 
Yeah. Versus Sister Act One. What's really interesting is Sister Act One is a positive arc. Yeah. Sister yeah. Act Two is a flat <laughs> arc. She's changed, from, and this is what makes Sister Act Two one of the best sequels because yeah. the way it's designed is not repeating. She doesn't have to become even less trashy or whatever. Like yeah. the the plot is that she's changed for better. Now she has to take that change and impart it to other people who don't yeah. have. So the, privilege. the nuns help her. Now she has to help the kids. The kids who are. And, her. That's what makes it <laughs> yeah. such a great sequel, I reckon. I think that's just really compelling. Mary Poppins one. Mm. She, Mary Poppins doesn't change. Nope. She changes everyone around her. Same with Nanny McPhee, right? Also known Nanny as Nanny McPhee's a little more emotionally involved. Nanny McPhee physically changes. She yeah, gets... that's that you can't say a character's arc is their physical changes. Yes, it is. That is how you represent it. Uh, that is how you represent the story. So that's how her physical changes are representing the changes around her, though. They're not representing her changes. No, no, this is true. This is true. Uh, because she's quote unquote ugly. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's an interesting video essay, which I'll put in the show notes as well, that Ghostbusters is a really interesting case for there being no arc mm. and no theme to it. And you, cause you can, there's a couple of things you can maybe read into it, but it's a movie without a theme almost. Cause there's nothing learned or achieved yeah. by it. And yet it's still compelling and no one really knows how it worked it just did and when they tried to repeat it you get ghostbusters 2 which got mixed reviews yeah um and ghostbusters the reboot is mm. got an arc it's got yeah. an actual arc so it's i think maybe that might be anyone who's being honest that about why they didn't like it <laughs> you know it's because but i it think had an arc. i think another example of well, a kind of a bad example of flat arcs is Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Yep. Well, because that's 100%. Just a bad movie. Well, the kid doesn't do anything. I think, I think it's because all of the characters are just fighting for the status quo. Yeah. Like they don't want anything to change, including where they live, what they do, like literally day to day, exactly the same. So none of them. And at the end, they don't realize that they like that they don't they haven't decided that they want things to change now they want to live a better life they literally just want to go back so the whole yeah. array of characters don't learn anything it's just plot happening yeah yeah and i think yeah that movie was and even the book wasn't that great like it's it's it, the problem comes from stems from the source material as much as the movie um i think experimental films are yep. ones where obviously there's no there's no narrative to speak of a lot of the time. Uh, Ferris Bueller doesn't have an arc. Yeah, well, that's because uh, it's not really Ferris's story. It's yeah, tall guy McFace name. And Ferris is an invented. Are you yeah, buying no, 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 into no. that? No, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it's not his story. It's no, Ferris's Cameron's story. It's Cameron's yeah, yeah. story. Fer- Ferris is uh, Hobbs to. Uh, Cameron's uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, something like Crimson Peak is really interesting because Edith goes on an arc, but it's also not Edith's story. Yeah. It's Lucille's story as told by Edith, but mm-hmm. Edith even has a change throughout the story. And Tom, like all those characters, I think that movie is so much more, I'm watching it at the moment with the commentary track. I think that movie is so much more intricate than anyone gives it credit for narratively speaking, not just visually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the article that I read about characters who don't change and listed Raiders of the Lost Ark, which no, Fucking indie changes. He starts at the beginning saying, I don't believe in all that stuff. And at the end of the movie, and you can usually tell it, but you see what they do at the end. They make a choice near the beginning of the movie and make a choice near the end of the movie. And those yeah. two sort of tell you what the arc is. Indie at the beginning, he's like, I don't believe in 
God and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm a science. I'm an archaeologist. And at the end of the thing, he tells Marion, he says, close your eyes. Yeah. He believes. He goes from an unbeliever to a believer. Um, and yet they listed Kill Bill as well. And I'm like, that's a huge change. Yeah, that's a huge arc. Yeah, it's that's- hu- one of the biggest sort of, it's an operatic arc, if anything. Mm. It's not exactly subtle. Um, so that's all I've got. Have we got anything other notes, other uh, Ari characters? Well, how, how, how do you like to write character arcs, Shane? Good question. I usually start by, I, I build it into the opening and the closing scene. Yeah. I, and I, I learned that trick of Blake Snyder's Save the Cat. He yeah, says yeah. you start with an opening image and a closing image and that in that is encapsulated the theme and then mm. the, the film is an exploration of that idea. And I don't, I'm not necessarily always on the nose about it. Yeah. Uh, I definitely something know. like Red Curtain Hell now yeah. available on Vimeo on demand. Use that, picture. Oh fuck! That's Vimeo.com/slash on demand/slash Red Curtain Hell. Uh, use picture ranges as your coupon code for twenty percent off your rental or purchase. Um, I think that's uh, that's all tragic arcs, pretty much. Yeah, everyone fucks up, and mm. I I, don't, I didn't exactly plot it that way. It just kind of fell that way. I mean, we knew it was going to be because you're basing it off Shakespeare anyway. Yeah. So it's going to run in those kind of realms. Uh, I'm trying to think little arcs. Yeah, no little arcs. I, it's usually built into the opening and the closing image. I come at it more from a directing standpoint than I do a writing standpoint. I'm not like oh really intellectualizing the theme. I'm just yeah. I'm realizing this now as I'm saying it. I <laughs> always come at it visually, mm. which I hope is a good a better way of going about it. Yeah. I know I've done that with the horror that I'm writing at the moment. The literally the opening and the closing images are like hard burned into the theme, and they're really specific. So. So yeah, I, How do you I, do it? I see, I usually, I definitely write it in obviously. And usually the, the, are you into like, so are you, but are you like, cause a lot of the time I'm focused on surface level things. And then mm. it's only as I'm designing things visually or that where the theme, the quote unquote theme comes out. I'm not trying to intellect. I'm not, I don't go, I should make a movie about the destructive power of capitalism. And then I go and figure out characters and plot that it's no, associated with gen- that. Generally my, my themes are all personal and they're like always like, uh, it was really funny going through film What do you see as the theme for pizza deliverance? Uh, pizza deliverance is uh, the theme is And what pizza. are the arcs? Well, well, the arcs I think are obvious because it's, it's a buddy comedy, which is why I, I generally like writing two characters who are opposing and bringing them together. L plates was the same, but, it was specifically they don't work out together, um, but obviously you know L plates. Uh, oh my God, it's the sister film to L plates. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with L plates, it was it starts with her all nervous, standing out there by herself, and at the end she's standing by herself, strong, having killed her roommate. Obviously, with uh, Pizza Deliverance, it was meant to be them walking far apart from each other to the front door. They and then do. By the end, they do that though. That is there. They, well, but it's not the opening. No, anymore. but it's an overture. See, like yeah, Red uh, Curtain uh, Hell, Red Curtain Hell starts on a dead stage and ends on a dead stage. Oh, yeah, no, I 20, get you, yep. There's 22 minutes of exposition set up before. Necessarily the opening, I mean, the opening image of Red Curtain mm. Hell is a disabled parking spot. True. Uh, and that for a says gag a lot that about no who one gets. I know, right? It, it's I mean, like, it sets the theme, it sets the idea of what this movie is about. It's a, an able-bodied gentleman taking up a disabled parking spot because he's selfish prick yeah that tells you what the movie is about but most people don't grab onto it i don't think the opening image has to be the very first image yeah but there has oh, to okay, be a cool. uh, there has to be a an a, literally an arc at some yeah. point visually speaking in cool. the movie to represent it because yeah with uh with pizza deliverance it, it starts with the two walking far apart to the front door and by got, the I, end i didn't think that arm, as the, the, they're they're arm and arm, arm and arm walking walking out. back to the car um 
Yeah, that's yeah. cool. The, I, the, that's really cool. The, the the buddy comedy I'm writing now, and they're arguing, and then they're they're it, happy bantering. Exactly, they're still yeah. bantering both versions, but it's a different kind of banter. Exactly. Cool. Um, and yeah, with the um with the one I'm writing now, because I know the character arcs I want. Oh wait, what are you writing now? Uh, the buddy comedy musical. Uh, no, the, you the haven't bu- told me okay, about so, this. So it's a, a buddy cop musical, um, mainly because I want to do an action comedy musical, combine it all into all the things I love. Good luck. The, uh, the, yeah, I know. so fucking hard. The, the only thing that I've really worked out that I, uh, musical wise, is that I want a good cop, bad cop, uh, what do you call it, uh, interrogation scene that's a tango, and they reprise that song. Are you going to do like that that musical thing like in... um? in rent where you like go into an actual tango thing. Like you basically like transition onto like a dance no, floor. No, I won't do that. Please maybe, do that. Maybe, who knows? Uh, depends on how the writing goes. Get a hall, like hire a community hall and then just like spotlights on the ground and then stop down look, like look, a motherfucker. This is going to be a feature I'm writing, so I won't be Are shooting this feature? anytime Ooh. soon. I'm just writing it for now. Uh, but yeah, the, the idea, cause it's a, it's a buddy comedy. It's a buddy cop thing. So you've got, um, uh, th- th- this girl who's a bad cop who by bad, bad cop, as I, in she's bad at, at a job. job. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you've got this detective, uh, this private detective who's like a really by the books, straight edge sort of guy. And by the end, they both kind of like, and me in the middle, her whole story, her whole arc is the arc I keep on doing, which is finding confidence in herself. Cause it's, uh, and that's where I, why I want the tango for the good cop, bad cop. And that comes as a reprise at the end where he's telling her that she is a good cop because she cares about what she's doing. And that's where he's all old and jaded. So he doesn't give a shit anymore, but with her actually caring about it, it's kind of brought him back. They boost each other up. Yay. That's cool. I want to see this. I want to see this. The the, the character arc is generally the first thing I figure out. I'm like, this is where I want my characters to be. It's the through line in which you can hang plot on. And that's what what I'm doing now. I'm like, all right, here I can hang my plot. Yeah. And it also invigorates what you can go, oh, well, I want a scene that does this. Oh, well, how do I relate it to the character arc? Character arc is usually what I'm stringing on. And it's it's connected to the theme, but I'm not intellectualizing it in a philosophical standpoint. I think that's where a lot of movies go wrong is when it's philosophized. Is that the word I'm looking for? Philosophized first before it's a literal thing. Yeah. Whereas I always start as a literal thing and then the philosophy comes afterwards. Yeah. It's, 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 it's my garnish, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's all we've got for character arcs. Oh, Zane, how do you write character arcs? theater. <laughs> You're a theater man. I don't, I'm not an, I'm not a writer. You don't write. You're an improv artist. So how do you character arc, uh, Cluedo, the interactive? Oh, no, that's, that's, that's actually a very interesting thing is. Good. Uh, you make a choice, you commit to it, and then you progress the story. You you, ne- you resist the urge to stay and develop mm. what you this funny thing that you've just come up with. You have to add something new to it. So when you're doing improv, you always have to give the other person a name, have a relationship with them, yeah, and then progress that relationship. So if you're husband and wife, are you about to get a divorce? Oh. So it's not just going, oh, we've got a circle of and the better, people and oh, now and I've the better got kind of improv legs. is not where you're just like pulling a gun out on someone randomly. It's something <laughs> that's a, you've got to try and be a little more yeah. bouncing off what the other well, one, that's the thing. other if, performers. If you're in. a husband wife grocery shopping and you've picked up some apples, 
you need to do something with those apples. So either the wife starts berating the husband and he's really sad about it. And then at the end of the scene, you'll probably make him stand up to her. And then that's, that's the scene mm. with jokes added. That's what gives <laughs> an improv a more complete feeling. Rather yeah. Than uh, improv the- without, without emotion and character is either just jokes, which is sketch comedy. Yeah. Um, or it is bad. <laughs> the fine line, and not even funny. Well, that, that that's what worked really well in pizza. Was I I from the very start as a director, I made sure my two actors knew their character arcs, and if they know their character arcs, they know their motivations, they know at what points what things changes. Then I'm happy for them to improvise through a scene because they out, know where that scene is going. I found out on Lord of the Rings that Peter Jackson just left that job up to Fran Walsh and Philippa Boynes. So if the <laughs> actors had questions, they would just phone them. I mean, he'd come in with notes and stuff, but because yeah. he was manning like seven units at a time at any one time. <laughs> he left a lot of the actors to call Fran Walsh or Philippa Boyens, especially Philippa Boyens because Fran yeah. Walsh was doing a lot of directing as well. Philippa Boyens, who was the Tolkien expert of the three of them as well, oh, wow, to yeah. ask about the development of the character and sort of stuff like that. So that's anyway, that's a good place to end on a character arc topic. I think it's a really interesting topic. Thank you, Josh, for that topic. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Yeah, Josh. <laughs> uh, I thought we'd do top five character arcs, movies or TV. Yeah. Um, I'll go first because I'm, I'm probably going to be – I have, probably have the most. Um, <laughs> honorable mentions, generally do. Honorable mentions, Alicia Florrick and The Good Wife, and that's a really well-fleshed-out arc that was planned from the beginning, even though mm. it takes a time because it's a 22-episode show, and they do it with a closing and an opening image. Yeah. And I didn't quite pick up on that the first time I saw the ending, and then when I picked up, I'm like, oh, shit, that's, that's really intricate. Uh, Rick from Casablanca is a classic one. I stick my neck out for nobody and then he sticks his neck out. I mean, that's really classic screenwriting as well in the best kind of way. Uh, Giselle from Enchanted Mm -hmm. has a, and it it should be a, you know, it's these honorable mentions. These are honorable mentions. (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, Ida from Ida, which is that Polish film I mentioned um, a little while back. She starts, she's basically, it's a Catholic nun who finds out she was Jewish Mm. and hidden away because of the Nazis. And so she tries to maybe let go of being a Catholic nun. And then she kind of circles back on it. It's very, it's elliptical in a really compelling way. A Mm. lot of elliptical character arcs don't, don't I find, cause I'm like, Oh, you just gave up so that you could reset at the beginning. So, um, it worked in Inside Llewyn Davis is an elliptical art. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is fun. Oh, you've seen Inside Llewyn uh, Davis? I probably never mentioned it on oh, what it's if I've been so watching. Good. Um, but Eater is a really compelling, beautiful one, and it's done in like 80 minutes as well. See, that, that, when it comes to storytelling, I think you have a lot of, uh, what do you call it, uh, possibilities with religion. Yeah. But almost all As I'm suck. finding out writing my horror. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like you could do those elliptical arcs and have a really poignant, really... Nice. Uh, Or you can do that Nicolas Cage, uh, what's it called? Knowing. Uh, Left Behind. Oh, Left Behind. I thought you were talking about Knowing, which that's a terrible movie too. Uh, But anyway, I've got Cora from The Legend of Cora. She has a really great arc and I find her arc more compelling than Aang in The Last Airbender, even though I love The Last Airbender. Hers is definitely more personal than Aang's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Aang's is very based on the larger story, whereas hers is quite... And it and it's funny because the the bigger the outside plot goes, the mm. more internalized her arc becomes, which I find really really well good in the writing. Uh, Cobb from Inception is one of my favorite get over grief mm. plots, mm. even more so than Up, and I love Up, but uh, I think Inception's such a great mm. representation of that and thoughts and ideas and emotions. Um, and then you can pick literally any Orange is the New Black character. <laughs> They arcs, they make you someone you fucking hate and they're like almost a cliche on paper. Pensataki, she's a Bible bashing hick and you're like, 
fuck her, she's the worst thing. And then three seasons later, she's your favorite fucking character in the whole show. And you're like, how it's did you It's always been red. It'll always be red. Yeah, red, red, <laughs> <laughs> red, red. And red even has an arc, even yeah. though she's kind of stoic. It's like her stoicness is like, it's so, the writing, the character work, although I haven't finished the later season, I'm I, I'm not liking it that much um, because they're introducing new characters and get rid of the ones that I was so compelled by. Yeah. And so you have to kind of readjust. Uh, but my top five, I have Briny from Atonement as number mm-hmm. five. Yeah. This is a tragic arc with a. It's this. It's tragic and hopeful at the same time. It pulls off this balancing act of being both a positive and a negative arc, which is really rare. And it's such because that movie is just a complete character study, and you don't realize it until the very last scene, where you're like, "Oh fuck, that's what this movie was about." Uh, number four is a tie. There's a show called Person of Interest and two characters, Root and Fusco. So Root is like a hacker. She's a villain. So both these characters are villains. Uh, uh, Fusco is a corrupt cop who's basically like working for a main villain, but he's like the incompetent corrupt cop. And then he becomes one of the team. Both of these characters become part of the main team and they're like your favorite fucking characters. And they, they start as side villains and become compelling protagonists of the show. That show is one of the best for these really subtle serialized because it's a case of the week it's let's find the criminal kind of thing yeah and the the the, the stealth serialized storytelling in that is mind-blowing but that's a nolan brother writing that show i i reckon you'd love that show a lot um number three is dolores van cartier from sister act one i yeah, think a sow's ear can be turned into a silk purse as they say in the second one it's such a great arc and that's a really great dual arc too mm. of, of the mother superior yeah and they meet in the middle they meet somewhere in the middle and it's such a i i love that movie that's what makes me they come meet back it to it. exactly in the middle <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 uh number two is julianne potter from my best friend's wedding this is a yeah. tragic. Yeah, okay. This yeah. is a this is an anti-hero tragic arc yeah. that's performed so compellingly and written so compellingly. I, I the more I rewatch that movie, I'm like, oh fuck, that's it's it's like a magic. It's watching a magic trick. It feels mm. like watching a magic trick because it shouldn't work. It's a rom com where none of the rom com things happen, and it, so it shouldn't work. Uh, and then number one, bit of a controversial choice, and this was my favorite movie of all time. It's Lester Burnham from American Beauty. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's the classic what he wants versus what he needs, and he's going after things so aggressively, and you're rooting for him to succeed, and then he kind of doesn't, and that's okay. I'm very surprised that we didn't have any crossover. Oh, really? Really? Mm. There's so much. Oh, when I was going through, I'm like, oh fuck, all these are really good art. Oh, well, to be fair, I went really generic because I had very little time to prepare, but also <laughs> because like it's. Like the big ones are the big ones for a reason. Yeah, I I tried to avoid some of the bigger, bigger ones because I knew I'd have time. I didn't. So, So Zane, what's in your top five? I wonder if we're going to have any crossover. Maybe. I have two honorable mentions. Cool. Uh, Sarah Connor from the Terminator series. Yep. Yep. Um, Because she total change around. Um, It's not, it's never inevitable where she ends up, but it is is a huge change uh, driven by the plot. So her arc is in, an incredibly compelling one because yeah. she is uh, adapting to the environment around yeah. her. Uh, and then Tom Ripley from Talented Mr. Ripley. I have yet to see okay. this one. I've heard nothing but great things. Is that the one where it's like it's like the gay plot going on in the middle of it or is that the other one? Yeah, there's definitely kind of like a will they, won't they sort of thing. It's the one with Matt Damon, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, arguably Matt Damon's best performance. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I really love Talented Mr. Ripley. You didn't like him in We Bought a Zoo? 
Um, uh, <laughs> Sorry. I was, I didn't, that I haven't prepared terrible. for these questions. Uh, number five, uh, Nelson Van Alden in Boardwalk Empire. I have not watched this show. <laughs> what? I know. You need, go back and watch it. But do I need to, I feel like I should watch, because this is the Sopranos creator, isn't it? Yes. Or, yeah, I feel like I should watch yeah, the Sopranos yeah. first. So Michael Van Alden. Is that uh, Steve Buscemi's character? No, 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 no. That's, uh, I forget his name. I only know Steve Buscemi in that show. <laughs> oh, or is it, is it Steve oh, no, What's his name? What's his name? The, the other Italian guy who's in everything. And he's in Shall We Dance. Okay, this is the actor from Shape of Water. This is the villain. Michael Shannon? Yes. Oh, okay. Because he starts out as a super deeply, intensely religious um, agent for the Bureau of Internal Revenue. And he goes like straight into mob enforcer. Wow. Uh, Like he loses his faith. He loses his family. Uh, It is an amazing kind of fall from grace. Okay. Uh, yes, the first two seasons are great. Uh, the third season started getting a bit choppy um, and got a, kind of got caught up in its own plot um, and fell into the incest trap that a lot of TV shows at that point did. Like literal incest? Yes. Oh, okay. One of the characters was... Oh, because they're like, oh, it's on Game of Thrones and everyone loves it, so let's do that. Yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was around that <laughs> That's time. Really upsetting. Like what 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 kind of love trauma could we give Chanster. this give this uh, young guy character while well, his mother seduces him seduces him? Um Michael Corleone from Godfather yeah. One yeah. Two. Yeah. Um again, this this is the movie. Yeah. The, this uh this choice that he makes. Um and the same is my next one is Charles Foster Kane in Citizen Kane. Yeah. Uh, I, I need to revisit that one. I've, uh, Other Side of the Wing came out, and so I'm going to try and do like a an Orson Welles retrospective. Yeah, oh, it's, it's totally really oh yeah, it's really interesting. I really like movies that are kind of explanations. The plot is the explanation of the arc. So the movie is the arc, and the plot is where their arc has affected the world around them. Yeah. So I think that is Michael Corleone and uh, Charles Foster Kane. Uh, so and then Walter White, Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have. I, I figured this would be on your list. Um, it wasn't because I haven't finished the show. Yet. <laughs> what? I'm on season two because I found season two so uncompelling. <laughs> and I've heard. Season and you two. haven't watched. I it. haven't even started. It's it, on stand. So. I did on. The, I'm. I'm getting there. I'm getting. There. I don't think you are. <laughs> it's been a decade. It's has so much to watch. This, there was okay. This so the six seasons. So it's mm. been at least five years. Jeez. It's been a while, yeah. Time is mm-hmm. relevant. Mm-hmm. And number one, no surprise. Any guesses? Oh, oh, oh. Wait, oh. wait, wait, wait. Wait, is it just Earth Kit? Earth Kit. Just Earth Kit in life. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Kill no. Bill? Yes. Yeah, the bride so. from Kill Bill bride 1 and 2. Yeah. Um, not only from her transformation from like rookie... She goes through so many arcs from rookie to assassin, from assassin to uh, to fugitive, and then from fugitive to Avenger, and then from Avenger to mother. Yeah. Um, it is so many different arcs are represented. There's in that so many movie. different arcs, and they're, sh- they're like kind of jumbled up, but yeah. it all works. Yeah, yeah. And so one is used to explain the other, which is yeah. like the and way to It's very to emblematic another. of how Tarantino kind of. <laughs> Frankenstein's genres and references together in mm. the the way that only he can in that 
all those different kinds of arcs from those different genres come in. You know, that that rookie to assassin comes from like the British cop movies, which he's kind of rolling in there. Yeah. And then the, the, you know, it's very compelling. And it's also, it represents both the, uh, the environment of, uh, creating a person's arc, which is the rookie to assassin, um, assassin to um, betrayed. Yeah. Uh, and then you have her arc, which is the assassin to Avenger. Affecting the environment. Affecting the environment. Um, and so it's just really interesting. That's, that's my yeah. number one. Oh, very cool. cool. Right. Chance I don't have any honorable mentions because I'm lazy. <laughs> uh, well, technically my number five is two people uh, from the same movie, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, both nice. Freddie Benson and Lawrence Jameson. They both go through different arcs. Uh, but they, it's kind of like an, it's definitely a sister act story. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they end up exactly in the middle working together. Yeah. And, and then at the very end, after everything happens, they immediately go back to yeah. it, which, which is a great gag that I love. I, I use the same gag at the Spoilers. end. Of, I use the same gag at the end of L plates, how like she's, she's strong. She's a, but she's still the same person yeah. and she yeah. can't help it. Um, my next one is Ethan Hunt from the Mission Impossible series. Ugh. As a series, the way Ethan changes from movie to movie. He only really changed from three. No, no, no. Because the way he changes, you see him slowly turning insane. And by, <laughs> by the fifth movie... There's the scene where uh, Simon, like, Simon yeah. Pegg is like, he's just died. He's come back to life. And he's like, all right, let's drive. And he's driving. And uh, Simon Pegg's character is just looking at him going, what the fuck? And it's that moment that people are realizing that he is just straight up gone insane. It's probably <laughs> my only complaint about six is the fact that fifth honestly made me think that, holy shit, are people realizing that he's absolutely batshit insane? And they kind of just left it. And that's that's the reason why I discount this theory is because they haven't owned it in the movies. Well, they they totally were until six. Up to five, <laughs> it was like, oh, he's slowly going insane. Like he's just that obsessed with the job that even at the end of six, when he's fallen in love, it's completely gone by the next movie and he's married to a woman uh, who's completely different who ends up coming back. And anyway, yeah. Ethan Hunt. Crazy uh, person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my next one is also a series. Uh, no, actually, my next uh, my next two are both series-long arcs. I'm only counting the first three in both of these, though. Ellen Ripley from Alien to Alien 3. Her her arc- Most people would only count the first two. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I include the third one. She's a different person from the second movie to the third one, and, it's, and she goes through a different arc there of self-sacrifice, and then the fourth movie happened- <laughs> And Prometheus happened. You know what? I should include the Alien Queen. Alien Queen. She has a great arc. She's a, from yeah. Alien vs. Predator to fucking being a half thing in Alien Resurrection. Uh, my next one is Martin Riggs from the Lethal Weapon series. Once again, only the first three, mainly because I've only seen fourth. I saw the fourth one first when I was a kid and I do not remember at all. I don't remember liking it though. I think I fell asleep. I don't know. This is the character that in the series was played by the guy who's really abusive, wasn't it? Mel Gibson? <laughs> No, in the in this TV series, the white guy. Oh right, I, don't, I haven't seen the, the TV white series. Guy. The guy's like the white a guy, yeah. total dick, and he got fired from the show and everything. Oh nice, yeah, and replaced with Wait. Sean William Scott. Ha- oh really? Yeah, that's an interesting choice. 
I kind of want to go and watch the series. He looks very like the series guy, but apparently the series guy is a very diva dickhead. But either way, uh, this this is mainly really the first movie because I really love Martin Riggs' arc in the first movie. But the second movie is also good. And the third movie, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, The main reason I want to bring up Lethal Weapon is because I just love the fact that the second movie, the whole plot of the second movie, which is about the apartheid, is because uh, the... Um, uh, Murtog has a, in the first movie, Murtog has a little sticker on his fridge that says end apartheid. And people were like writing in going, Oh, Richard Donner, how could you do this? You know, it's not your business and whatever. So he was like, okay, let's make the next movie about the apartheid. (laughs) Fuck you guys. (laughs) Get even more hate. And, uh, my number one pick is Gloria from Colossal. Nice. Yeah. 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 I, I honestly only realized it. That's good. Yeah. Recently, like anything, but yeah, her arc. It, it, honestly, That's another was, one of those movies I can totally imagine you making. Yeah. Well, well, it was when I was talking about L plates and pizza and the arcs there. I was like, oh, wait. Yeah. Colossal. That's yeah. exactly what I go for. So, yeah, I, I, I just fucking love that movie. It's so good. Oh. Well, that's it for this episode on character arcs. If you have some favorite character arcs, you can contact us on social media or on we're on we're on picture we're on instagram and twitter at picture rangers and you can email us if you have a top five list we can start reading them out online on air i mean not online uh i mean on air we are online so you know either one would have been completely fine motion picture rangers at gmail.com and you can find me on twitter at shane m underscore anderson and i'm on letterboxd at 24 frames you can find me on Instagram at the Chancellor, and I don't have to plug Red Curtain Hill because we already did it earlier. And Zane C. Weber on all socials. At Zane C. Weber. At Zane C. Weber. On all the socials and that's not kind of productions.com for everything that I do. Including some really great podcasts. And we've got some new ones. There's a video game one coming out. There's the fabulous Disney vs. Disney debates. The unofficial definitive Disney debate podcast. Oh, yeah, we make a lot of defining statements about yeah. Disney. <laughs> this is true. Uh, So thank you guys all for listening and we'll uh, speak to you again next week. Bye. Bye. Bork, bork, hello. Bork, bork, hi. You know what you need to be doing? You need to be listening to the Floof and Popper podcast. I'm Mel. I'm Taylor. And we're going to talk about all things dogs. Dog stories. Dog breeds. Dog tips and tricks. Dog puns. Dog jokes. Dog everything. Out if you're not listening. Uh, hit us up at the Floof and Popper podcast wherever you get your podcast. Tune in. Uh, that's not kind of productions podcast.